It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Coming to you from the heart of Silicon Valley, this is CUDA Confidential, the official podcast of the San Jose Barracuda, AHL affiliate of the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's your host, Nick Nolenberger. Hello, Barracuda fans, and welcome to another edition of CUDA Confidential. In this episode, we'll recap the Barracuda's last four games and we'll chat with Barracuda development coach John McCarthy. The Barracuda continued their four-game road trip in Tucson on Friday night after the club had managed to win 4 to nothing against the Roadrunners on Wednesday. Just 27 seconds into the first period, while on the power play, Joachim Blickfeld would fire one in for his 19th of the year to get things started. On Wednesday, Kuda do have a top 10 power play, ranked sixth overall in the league. Blickfeld shoots, he scores! Less than 30 seconds later, though, Tucson would manage to tie the score as Hudson Fashing would find the back of the net for the ninth time this season. Back to Andibucci in a moment. Now Foley plays it along for Somerby, came off the end wall. Amon can't make the second save, and they score. But then on the team's fourth penalty kill of the first period, again Fashing would score to give the Roadrunners a 2-1 lead. Eight assists in his career in a Tucson sweater. Got it 1-1, the Roadrunners back onto the power play, they score. Hudson Fashing scored from a near identical spot early in the first. He's got another one here, he just went right around Zach Abel and slid it under his pillow, and it's a 2-1 lead. After no goals were scored in the second period, Tucson would add on to its advantage in the third. As Michael Carconi, in his first game back since being recalled to the NHL with the Coyotes, would find the back of the net for his 24th of the season. Up a juicy rebound, control Blickfeld, twists the shot, it's going to be blocked, could be a chance for Carconi. Skates it on a breakaway, backhander, save is made by Amon, he looked behind him, it's pulled free, kicked away, and they score. Down by two in the third, the Barracuda would mount a comeback, as former roadrunner Lane Peterson would score in his third straight game and his third straight against his former club. Barracuda won for four on the man advantage. Not done yet though, threatening here, here's a chance for Peterson, he scores! Then at 14-13, Jaden Holbgawaks would snap one in to level the score at 3-3 at 14-13. This is their fifth power play chance. We've seen now 14 combined minors in this game. Here's a 10 backhander. Holbgawaks scores! Shovelevsky put it on net and Holbgawaks shoveled it home on the backhand and we are level at 3-3. The game would go to overtime, and in the extra session, the Barracuda would outshoot the Roadrunners 2-1. But after five minutes of three-on-three play, we'd need a shootout to decide it. In the top of the third, Karkoni would score again, and Sasha Shemilevsky would get turned aside by Ivan Prozvatov, and the Roadrunners would pick up a 4-3 victory. 
of the third. Carconi will get an opportunity. He shoots and scores. The next night, the two teams would run it back for the final meeting on the six-game season series in the final matchup of three straight in Tucson. At 6-18 of the first period, Sasha Shemolevsky would get things started with his 12th of the season. And over his last seven, Shemolevsky up to 10 points. He's got a couple of goals and eight helpers. Here comes Shemolevsky, works in, he scores! Sasha Shemolevsky continues his white-hot pace. Then Lane Peterson would make it goals in four straight and goals in all four games against his former club as he'd score his sixth of the year at 14.45. The game looks no worse for the wear. Now Unique steps into a shot as he gains the offensive blue. That's blocked and Holka walks back in transition. Gives it off right wing side. Angle shot. They score! Lane Peterson has another goal against his former club. Up 2 to nothing in the second period, the Barracuda would go on to a 5-on-3 penalty kill. And Cole Holtz would cut the lead in half with his fifth of the season. And a shot high and wide by Cole Holtz. Now Jan Unique for Michael Carconi. Carconi down towards the end line for Unique. Waits it out. Near side. Holtz scores! It's a power play goal for the Roadrunners. But later in the frame, Nick Chichek would strike for the fourth time this year to give the Barracuda a 3-1 lead. Five combined here in the second, and the goal by Tucson coming during a five-on-three sequence. Wanger to the point, Chichek shot! He scores! Nick Chichek from just above the left circle beats Ivan Prozvatov through the wickets. In the third, Travis Barron would cut the lead back down to one, but Joachim Blickfeld would notch his 20th of the year and his 10th on the power play. Right wing side, Shomolevsky loads up and Prozvatov comes up with a stop, and then it's rimmed around the wall. Blickfeld does a good job to keep it in the offensive zone and keep the play alive. Blickfeld shoots! He scores! Nick Merkley would seal the victory with his 11th of the year at 13:25 On Tuesday, the Barracuda returned back home to the SAP Center for the first game of five during a five-game homestand. Their opponent, the Stockton Heat, the top team in the AHL, for the fourth matchup in the month of March between the Northern California rivals. Just one minute and 32 seconds into the first period, Brinson Pashnuk in just his second game of the year would give the Barracuda a 1-0 lead. Against the Pittsburgh Penguins in Pittsburgh. There's a shot from the left point. He scores! Brinson Pashnuk from the left side. A frozen rope beats Dustin Wolf in an emphatic celebration. Unfortunately, after that point, the Barracuda would not score again, and Matt Phillips would tie the score up at 11-18 of the first. After a scoreless second period, Justin Kirkland would break the deadlock at 11-22 of the third. Kevin Gravel would seal the victory with an empty netter at 18-21. Looking to get back in the win column, the Barracuda would continue their five-game homestand with a matchup against the Abbotsford Canucks on Thursday at Sharks Ice. At 6.54 the first period, Abbotsford would jump out to a 1-0 lead as former L.A. Kings prospect Sheldon Rumpel would score his 25th of the year. Being defended there by Batetto, thrown in front by Rempel, and somehow it beats Alex Stalock. It rolled up and 
had just passed the goal line. And the Abbotsford Canucks drop first blood. The time of the goal at 6.54. A couple of minutes later, former Colorado Eagle Texas star forward Sheldon Dries would score his 32nd of the season. He tried to center. Now he springs it to the point. Bowie walks the line, throw towards the net. Puck is loose, and they score. Sheldon Dries cleans up the rebound. And he's up to 32 goals on the year. And the Canucks take a 2-0 lead here in the opening period. And the big guns, both Sheldon Ruppel and Sheldon Dries, who sit 1-2 on this Canucks team in goals scored, have first period tallies. The Barracuda would trail by two after one period of play, but would cut the lead in half in the second, as Jaden Holmgawaks would snap in his 16th of the year at 7-22. Alluded to. Here's a chance, Holmgawaks, left wing is shot! He scores! Jaden Holmgawak steps into the offensive zone down the left wing. He had some room, and he picks the top far side right corner of the net. Down by just a goal in the third, the Barracuda would give up a crucial third goal to the Canucks as Abbotsford would first score on the power play and then seal the victory with an empty netter. The Barracuda continue their five-game homestand with an afternoon matchup on Saturday against the Colorado Eagles. We'll have pregame coverage starting at 1245 on both the Sharks Audio Network and at AHLTV.com. This episode of Cuda Confidential will continue after this short break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Barracuda Development Coach John McCarthy. Now, back to the action. Barracuda Hockey continues now. We are pleased to be joined by Barracuda Development Coach John McCarthy. Mac, uh, what's going on? Thank you so much for the time. Uh, thanks for having me. Not not a lot. Had uh, practice today. We got a one o'clock game tomorrow, so wasn't a long one out there today. Um, guys look sharp, and uh, I know they're ready to ready to go against Colorado tomorrow. I know we've talked about it a little bit, but your job has many different roles. You go onto the road. You check in on some of the prospects. You were just in OHL country. You also. When in town, we'll be on the ice with the guys. So using today as an example, what are a few things that you try to work on? What is kind of the game plan as you uh, go into a practice? What are you trying to accomplish when you're on the ice with these guys? Yeah, basically my job, um, I'm more focused on kind of individuals as opposed to the team concepts. That's more the, the coaching staff themselves. Um, I'm working on kind of skill development. Um, so, you know, when I'm watching the guys, uh, the guys meeting the Barracuda games, I'm kind of taking notes on on things that jump out to me, things that, that certain guys are doing well and some things that maybe other guys need to work on. Um, and then, you know, before and after the the main practice, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, I'll grab guys and, and kind of grab different groups of guys if it's the same skill that I'm working on with the group. Um, and we'll kind of just go through things slowly at first and, and add speed, you know, into that. And then, you know, ideally, I think in a perfect world and, and the, the best way to teach and the, and the best way that I've found that guys learn is, you know, if I can, if, if there's a pretty prominent, um, I don't want to say issue, but if there's a pretty prominent skill that, you know, I think our team needs to work on, I can kind of slow it down with them, really break it down piece by piece before practice. And then, you know, I'm also part of the practice planning process. Um, so if we can hit that in the regular practice at more of a full speed uh, game like situation, um, you know, so they can kind of see the progression. I think uh, personally, I think that's that's the best way to, to, to go about it. So 
Um, and then you mentioned, I also do a little bit of traveling. Um, I, I, uh, all the draft picks that are playing junior in college, you know, uh, it's probably a lot easier these days than it was 10, 15 years ago. Cause right on my computer, I get all their games, I get all their shifts. So I watch, you know, as much as I can. And then, uh, you know, when the team goes on the uh, long road trip, I'll go and see a few prospects. And, uh, you know, I, I do think you get a little something different out of uh, watching a live game than, than on the computer. So it's good to check in, good to kind of check in with them, see how things are going off the ice. Cause um, you know, the development process is, is we're developing them as hockey players. We're also developing them as people. So, um, you know, good people make good hockey players as far as I'm concerned. So it's good to, good to stay in touch with those guys and, and definitely check in with them, you know, when I can. That was going to be my follow-up question with COVID. A lot of the scouts had to basically watch all the prospects on their computer, on the television, didn't get the opportunity to go into some of the buildings and see them firsthand with the naked eye. As someone now in that scouting realm, if you will, what do you notice is the biggest difference between watching a game on, say, your computer or actually being there? What can you extract when you're actually in person? Yeah, to me, the difference is, you know, you're, you're picking up more more of a, um, a hockey sense type of thing. Like, I like to watch warm-ups. I like to see how guys prepare themselves. I like to watch them on the bench. Are they talking to their teammates? Are they being constructive? You know, or are they coming back to the bench, slamming their stick out of frustration? You know, stuff like that. Um, you definitely don't get on the computer. Um, you also kind of, you know, on the computer, it, it typically sends me just their shifts. So you don't get the entire game, which is great because it's a condensed game and I can watch more prospects. But watching the game as a whole, you know, you get a, you get a feel for the game. You know, when is this guy stepping up when his team needs him at the most, you know, definitely needs him, you know, at the end of the game or is it, is it six on five or something along those lines? Or can they come through in the clutch? Um, you know, so that's another thing that you get from live. And then lastly, I think what I touched on before is, you know, typically I'll stick around after the game, you know, when I see them live, just, just, to, just to say hello and, you know, see what's going on. And, and I even offer them a little feedback from what I'm seeing. And, um, you know, and I think that goes a long way because I think, you know, it, it's a little bit of a transition into the organization, you know, so when they get here, they, they know me, they've seen my face before, they know kind of what they have to work on. And, you know, it's basically starting, it's jump-starting the development process as opposed to waiting until they get here. I know analytics have been a, a big thing that have taken over pro sports as a whole, but hockey, it's really come on over the last handful of years. I know you use it, the organization uses it. How can you use analytics though, from your own perspective, when you're going to watch a player to kind of validate what you're seeing or look for trends and kind of give yourself a blueprint on what you're going to go into a situation with? How can you kind of use analytics to support that process? Yeah, I think, you know, from a, from a straight evaluation process, uh, process, meaning, you know, a typical scout, you know, looking, looking for players, looking for good players. I think that they can kind of point you in the right direction. However, you know, taking analytics simply by themselves is kind of dangerous. You know, you definitely want to validate it with the eye test, you know, is what you're seeing, what, what's showing up in the numbers, because I think, you know, if you get too tied up in the numbers and vice versa, if you, if you see what you want to see, you know, with your eyes and, and sometimes the numbers don't back that up, you know, maybe there's something you're missing there. You know, I really like it when the, when the numbers line up with the eye test is, is, you know, a perfect scenario. And then, for, for development, how I use analytics with our guys is, you know, I've identified the thing with analytics is, is that after any given game, there's, there's probably two, two to 300 individual numbers that get spit out to us. Right. So you can definitely get lost in there. What I like to do is I've identified some 
analytics that speak to kind of the skill set that our organization puts a premium on. And that way I track those analytics. And so I get a report, um, you know, that, that shows those analytics, for instance, um, shot success rate. Are we, are we getting shots through and are we hitting the net? You know, and, and to me, that's going to, that speaks to their shot release. You know, are they, do they have a, do they have a quick release? Can they get it by, or is it getting blocked? And do they have a quick, uh, short follow through or are they hooking all their shots and missing the net? That's just a simple example of kind of how I use it, you know, in the development process. I know in baseball, it's a little bit easier to use analytics because every play is basically broken down individually. Hockey, it's a free-flowing sport. There's not a ton of whistles. So a stop and start point would be a face-off draw. And there's a lot of importance when it comes to puck possession and things like that. But it's, again, a stop and start point is a face-off. So strictly looking at that part of the game, is there a lot that you can extract you look at a face-off, it, it lasts one second, but is there a lot that you can extract from a successful team and a successful player? What kind of transpires off a face-off draw? Yeah, 100%. I think good teams have a plan and good teams are all on the same page when it comes to face-offs. Um, we played a team uh, last night, actually, and they were leading the league in generating offense off of face-off wins, right? That's, that's another example of how you can use analytics from a team perspective. So it's like, Okay, we got to take a. We got to take a look at their how they take faceoffs and kind of the routes that they use. And B, we got to be on our game. We have to have a plan. We have to be prepared. Our center can't go in there and put his stick down until everybody on the ice knows what's going on. Um, so that would be another use of analytics. Uh, and and the way they have it broken down is, is absolutely incredible. They have each center by each dot broken down who wins on what. So you know from from an ice time perspective, as a you know if you were to be running a bench. You know, you can say, okay, this guy's really good on his strong side in the D zone. You know, you, if I can, I'm going to try to use him on that dot. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's the uses of analytics are, are many. Um, but like I said, to, to go by them strictly just by the numbers is a, is a dangerous game and, and also vice versa. So, you know, they are definitely useful. How much of that is used during the game? So at intermission, is any of that implemented or is this something that's going to happen in between games? More in between games. Um, our video coach, Nick Gildini, does a great job during the game, um, kind of marking, you know, he face-offs and, you know, other stuff like that, 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 you know, scoring chances and stuff like that. That way in between periods, the coaching staff and myself and the goalie coach all kind of meet and, and discuss kind of what we're seeing, um, and we can watch it again on the video just to validate what we're seeing. Um, that way, you know, it kind of lends to uh, adjustments uh, X's and O's wise and, and maybe switch lines or something along those lines between periods usually comes from more, more the eye test from uh, our video coach as opposed to analytics themselves. You've now been in the coaching realm for a couple of years as a coach, as a development coach, is there anything that you are teaching these guys, anything that you've picked up that you think to yourself, man, I wish I would have known this as a player. It would have helped me out a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it happens a lot, actually, you know, um, being on this side of things and getting to spend time around, you know, the NHL staff, the NHL staff has been great with us. They let us get involved in training camp. We were on the ice, we were running drills, um, sitting in their meetings, you know, and, and just, you know, handling the puck and uh, X's and O's wise, you know, if somebody dives down, you, know, you got to get up and above and stuff like that. It's like, man, I probably, it's not so much that I, nobody told me it's that I didn't really, I should, probably should have done it more. Uh, maybe I'd still be playing, but uh, 
you know, I, I think it is, it is amazing to, to kind of switch onto this side of things and, and look at it from a different perspective um, and vice versa. You know, I, I, I'm only, uh, I guess, two and a half, three years removed from playing. And so I understand kind of what the guys are feeling, what they're thinking uh, in different scenarios. And, you know, at times I think trying a little bit of a different approach to get through to them um, after having kind of been in their shoes recently um, can be effective. You are almost that buffer between the coaching staff and, and management from a developmental standpoint. You mentioned you're only a couple of years removed. You're still a young guy. So there's an ability to relate not only from your age and the fact you just were playing a couple of years ago, but also your experience. Do you feel that way that you're able to communicate with these guys, as you mentioned, present maybe the message in a different form? It's all the same information, maybe. But if you present it a certain way, maybe it's digested better by the player. Yeah, to me, to me, the coach player relationship really uh, revolves around trust. Um, And that's not to say other coaches don't have the players trust, but um, having played with even played with some of the guys that are still on the team, um, you know, and like I say, I'm able to kind of put myself uh, in their shoes and, and kind of understand what they're going through at the time and what they're thinking and, you know, how, how things come across and, you know, in, in a high pressure situation, sometimes another voice isn't necessarily positive. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, I think it does, it definitely does help um, that, you know, as far as getting through them, because you can, uh, from a coaching standpoint, you can, you can, talk all day long and you can feel like I'm doing a great job because I'm telling this guy everything there is to know about the sport of hockey. At the end of the day, all that really matters is what that kid is retaining and understanding, you know? So if he's overwhelmed and he's come walking out of the office, walking out of the meeting wide-eyed and, and whoa, that went way over my head, then to me, I failed, right? So maybe it's about me toning things down. It's about simplifying it. Maybe I give you one thing for today. And then if that goes well, we'll move on to something tomorrow, you know, knowing kind of how to, and everybody's different. That's the other thing is that they're all, they're all hockey players, but they're all people too. So some people learn differently. Some people can process quicker. Some people learn by doing, some people learn by seeing on one of these whiteboard or video or, so I think it's important to kind of identify how to get through to each player um, differently. When you first meet meet a player, introduce yourself, you try to build that relationship, you get a feel for what type of personality they have. Are you doing a little bit of analysis yourself uh, on what they're all about and how specific ways of teaching may work with this specific player? Does that kind of happen over time as the relationship is built? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously you you, you make an initial impression with somebody, you know, it's always that's they're kind of always being even when they're at development camp, they're kind of being evaluated, not so much on the hockey side of things, because you know, some guys, it would be their first camp and some guys, it's their fifth. The guys that are in their fifth are probably going to know the stuff better than that's fine. But, you know, more, how do you process? How do you, are you prepared? Are you able to engage in a discussion about what you're taught, what the coaches are talking about? Um, you know, I think that's, that's the important part. Um, also to, to, to touch on that, um, you know, when you're trying to figure out how a kid ticks, what, what, how does he learn? What does he like? Um, you know, I think that's where the scouting staff comes in handy because before having drafted them, before having signed them, you know, they've done all the research. They've talked to their coaches. They've talked to their parents, their siblings. They've talked to their trainers, their strength coach. You know, so we have a pretty good understanding of what type of kid we got. Um, and then that's where they can kind of convey. And, and a little bit, that's kind of where I come in as far as kind of trans, transferring them from where they came from to here is you know, okay, I can kind of loop these guys in, these guys meaning the, the coaching staff here. 
on, on what type of kid we got, what type of learner he is, you know, he needs to work on this or whatever it may be. I think, you know, that, that transitional step is, is I, pretty much what I do. We're talking to John McCarthy, Barracuda development coach, looking out at players who are coming in nowadays, young kids development camp, they're still in their teens. They come into the HL. They're probably around 20, 21 years of age. Do you notice these kids being more, not of a finished product on the ice, but more, maybe mature and understanding of the expectations or, or maybe not at all, but have you noticed any transition from the time you stepped in as a pro to the, the current player nowadays, are these guys more ready or, or maybe even less? Um, I honestly, I haven't noticed that much of a change. I, uh, strength and conditioning has become, you know, a, a world in and of itself. You know, when I first started, we, we didn't even have a full-time strength coach in the minors. Um, and now we have, you know, two, so that has definitely increased. So when, you know, when they come to camp, kids are, are not all, most of them are in a lot better shape, but also they know what to expect, right? Maybe they may not have showed up in the greatest shape, but they know what they're in for, um, you know, during the camp itself. And they're familiar with how this process works. So that would be the biggest, the biggest difference to me is the strength and conditioning, the off ice stuff um, from that perspective. You've got Alex Daylock back in the organization. He's the guy that you played with during your time with the Sharks and with uh, the Worcester Sharks. Uh, pretty well-liked guy in the locker room by whoever he, he crosses paths with. Uh, what, what has it been like having Al back in the locker room? It's been great. You know, um, we have a younger team, definitely, uh, especially um, Jason Megna has been up uh, in the NHL for uh, quite a long time now. So, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, sometimes you go down before practice and walk to the locker room and it's dead silent. So, you know, I think, I think it's, he's, he's a great pro. He comes, he puts his work in, but you know, he has fun with it too. And I think it's, it's good for those guys to see that you can definitely have fun as long as you're working. And as long as you're working to get better, um, he, he's got a lot of experience. He kind of knows what it takes. He played a, a lot in the NHL. Um, so he's, he's a bit of a resource for those guys, not just the goalies, you know, everybody. And, and, you know, he's, he's an extension of the coaching staff, um, in, in the locker room. So he's been, he's been great to have around. The NHL trade deadline just came and went, and it's always an interesting time of year. You've got players leaving it and coming and going. Um, you played for a long time. You knew what it was like when NHL trade deadline time came what was it like as a player, though, watching guys that you've built relationships with, you built friendships with, you were in the trenches with, and all of a sudden they're gone. You don't see them anymore. And then new guys come into the fold. What was it all like for you from a playing perspective? Yeah, it's tough. It's always a nerve wracking day. Typically, we don't practice on it just because there's a lot of distractions going on this this year. We we did. Um, I actually was I was on my trip, but the guys came into the rink and, you know, it's it's a little bit uneasy. It's an uneasy feeling. That being said, there is there are definitely surprises, but there are a lot of times people that do move on kind of have an idea that, you know, it's a possibility. So they're not always taken completely off guard, but it's still it is a bit of a shock, you know, because uh, I'll speak for myself. And I think most hockey players are, are creatures of routine. You know, you like coming to the rank, you have what you do on every day. And, and, you know, so when that guy's not around or for that guy, now he's got a new team, a new rink, a new city, a new teams they play against. It's just a, it's a, it's a whirlwind a little bit. Um, and I think the, the, as far as guys coming in uh, onto our team, it's, it's important to get them integrated right away and, you know, make sure they meet everybody, make sure they have their gear squared, squared away. They, 
know where everything is um, and just kind of make them feel at home as quick as you can. Because a lot of times, like I think we played two days after the trade deadline. So it happened quick. They get in town and they're in the, they're in the lineup uh, pretty soon thereafter. So just to catch them up to speed and, and, and uh, kind of what I touched on on the coaching stuff, I think it's important. Yeah. You got to get a lot of information to them because obviously they're brand new, but I think it's important not to throw the book you know, because then they'll be playing and they'll be paralyzed by, by so many different things. It's what, what do they need to play? What are the essentials they need to know to play well and, and help their teammates win the game. And then, and then I think you build on that from there. We're talking to John McCarthy, Barracuda development coach. We mentioned that you were just on the road. You were meeting with uh, Ethan Cardwell, I believe in, in Barrie, Ontario, any trips lined up over the next couple of months? How do things shake out for you down the final stretch of the season leading into development camp and also leading into the upcoming NHL draft that'll be this summer? Yeah. Um, I'm going to be, I'll be mostly with the Barracuda from here on out the junior season. Um, it got extended a little bit this year with COVID, but typically it ends um, a little bit before us. And then what happens is the, the draft picks that whose teams don't make the playoffs in their own league um, come to us. And, and so I'd like to be there for that as kind of like I talked about before that the little bit of the transition uh, between, you know, where they came from and, and here. Um, so I'll be around here the rest of the, the rest of the season and, and working with guys in practice before practice, after practice, um, you know, in between periods, uh, you know, whatever I see, I, I try to lend a hand and deliver it in a way, you know, that, that comes across as, listen, I, I want the best for you at times, you know, the message may be hard to hear and it may be hard for me to say it because I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want guys to get down on themselves, but you know what, sometimes they have to hear, you know, Hey, this just isn't good enough. Um, you know, so I think that, that for the rest of the season, that that's mostly what I'll be doing. And, you know, we're hoping that we'll be able to, our division has seven teams making the playoffs and we got to catch uh, one more team, but, you know, we've been playing well as of late. And, you know, if we were to be able to get into the playoffs, that would be huge as far as experience for the prospects, you know, they'll, some of those seasons will be done. So they'll get a chance to play at this level uh, for us to see them play at this level in, in, in a pretty stressful environment um, as far as playoffs. So, you know, from an evaluation standpoint, it's huge. And then for them, you know, that way when they come back next year, you know, they've played a playoff game. So it's not as big of a jump for them to come into camp and make an impact right away. John McCarthy, Barracuda Development Coach. We appreciate the time. Uh, thanks so much. We look forward to seeing you a little bit more around the rink if uh, you're not traveling down this final stretch. But uh, thank you again. And uh, we really appreciate it. All right, Noli, thank you. That'll do it for this episode of CUDA Confidential. A big thank you to John McCarthy. And a reminder, the Barracuda are back on the ice at 1.15 on Saturday at the SAP Center to take on the Colorado Eagles. Until Saturday, I'm Nick Nolenberger saying thanks for listening and so long until next time.